Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Hey there, and welcome back to Walk Through the Bible. This is week 19. And this week we're reading in the Daily Bible, in the Daily Bible, pages 574 to 602, or May 17th through 14th. We are finishing our trek through most of the Psalms. And so this week we're reading the Messianic Psalms. And so there's some really exciting things for us to talk about today. And then we're gonna pick up our story and uh, continue the story of David and the transfer to King Solomon. So um, I wanna say that the Psalms are quoted over a hundred times in the New Testament. And this week we read the verse that is the most quoted verse in the whole New Testament, most quoted verse out of Psalms. And that was out of Psalm 110, and it's verse number one. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about Psalm 110. The rabbis identify this psalm as being one about Messiah, and that would explain why it's quoted uh, so much. And so this has a really um, well-known and famous verse. Uh, verse number one says, this is King David now writing this psalm. And King David, who is king, and you could say Lord to his people, seems to be overhearing a conversation. And he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So this is the verse that is quoted um, so much. And then there's another verse uh, just a little bit down. So let's discuss this. Um, Psalm 110. So as I said, David is like overhearing a conversation. It says, the Lord says to my Lord. Well, we know who the Lord is. That's the God of Israel, the God uh, known as Yahweh. Um, but this is saying that the Lord says to my Lord, um, sit at my right hand. And um, so David is um, hearing this conversation. And then Jesus quotes this and uses it to, you could say, stump the Pharisees uh, in a passage here in Matthew 22. So it says that while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said, the son of David. So Jesus says to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So if the Messiah is the son of David, why would David be calling him Lord then? And, um, and it says, no one was able to give an answer to him. Uh, nor from that day did anyone dare question 
him uh, anymore. So this really stumped the Pharisees. And um, and it really is a very uh, powerful verse here. So the New Testament teaches that this invitation to sit at Yahweh's right hand was fulfilled when Jesus entered heaven, ascended into heaven and sat down. And uh, Peter argued this on the day of Pentecost when he preached to the, the big crowd there in Acts 2. And he said, his conclusion was, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And uh, that this Jesus who has ascended is both uh, Lord and King seated on the throne. Um, but then Psalm 110 doesn't just picture the Messiah as David's Lord and King, but also it brings in priesthood. And this is what is really quite astounding. So down in Psalm 110 verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is the verse that Hebrews chapter 7 is written all about and expounds on this. Because Israel's priesthood began with Aaron and was passed on down through his descendants uh, from the tribe of Levi. And then when the monarchy arose, um, the monarchy and the priesthood were kept separate. And uh, there's one story which we'll read later where King Uzziah attempted to usurp the priestly powers as king and he was struck down. Uh, with leprosy. So it was absolutely forbidden. The king was to be separate from the priest. But now David speaks of one who is king and also a priest. And for the precedent, he doesn't reach back to Aaron or to the Levitical priesthood, but back to the mysterious figure of Melchizedek, who we read about in Genesis, when it says that Abraham, uh, after Abraham had defeated these kings and had retrieved his nephew Lot and had come back, that the king of this Salem, being the city of Jerusalem, uh, who was also a priest to the Most High God, came out. And we have this interchange between him and Abraham. And it says Abraham tithed to him. And there, he's this mysterious figure. Who is this priest to the Most High God? He predates Aaron and he predates the Levitical priesthood. But it's as though there was some kind of ongoing priesthood already in place, the king of Salem. And so here, based on this mysterious, seemingly eternal figure, uh, does the uh, New Testament then base Jesus's priesthood, that it is um, as um, Melchizedek. And um, so it's very, very interesting here. And, and when speaking of this Melchizedek priesthood, um, it says that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, it's eternal. It is forever. 
and um, which is in contrast to the Levitical priesthood, which once the Levitical priest dies, you know, his priesthood is over. And, uh, but here is a priest that is of eternal significance. And um, so in Hebrews 7, it expounds upon this and explains it. So I, I just mentioned that you can do further study on that this week. Read Hebrews 7, uh, look up some of these references in the New Testament. Um, it, this Psalm 110, very, very significant. But this week we read another Messianic Psalm, and this one is also very significant, Psalm 22 and another psalm written by David. And this is the psalm that Jesus quoted when he was hanging on the cross. And there's a lot of you know, discussion and debate as to why Jesus quoted this and what did he mean by it. And it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, um, and so some people say that, well, he felt forsaken. He, the God had abandoned Jesus on the cross because he took our sin on him and God could have nothing to do with that sin and the price needed to be paid. So there was a, a separation and abandonment. Um, but some would say, but wouldn't Jesus have understood that and expected that? So why would he question God about it? And the reason being is he's quoting King David, and he's quoting a very well-known psalm that they all knew, where King David cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And other commentators will say that Jesus may have been using a particular method whereby, the, because the Jewish people, they knew these scriptures by heart. And, um, and so Jesus is quoting the first verse, but everybody knows the whole psalm. So he doesn't have to quote the whole psalm. They know where it goes after this. And let me just read to you a few lines later on in the psalm because it describes actually the death of the Messiah um, on the cross. And so he says here, my God, uh, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear me, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried, and you delivered them. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shout out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Him, capital H. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They all gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out 
like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of the earth, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild ox. You have answered me, and I will declare your name to my brethren. So all of this has been a description of Jesus on the cross, of the thirst, of his water poured out like water, of, of his bones, of his garments that they cast lots for his garments. All of this is a description of what Jesus endured on the cross, and he knew it. But he didn't quote all of this. He just quoted that first verse. But it goes on and it says, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Um, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Now, I want you to stop here and remember Jesus' death on the cross is a part of that blessing that the Lord promised Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through what he was going to do through Abraham. And here David proclaimed it in this psalm, and Jesus refers to this psalm while he's hanging on the cross, and he says, all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Wow, I mean, how did King David write this? We don't know of any time that he hung on a cross or that he physically experienced all of this torment, but by the Holy Spirit of God, he saw it. He saw into the future and he saw this and wrote it. And uh, so this is another psalm highly quoted in the New Testament. So with that, we kind of bring to an end our reading through the psalms, and we pick back up with our story. And uh, we, we ended our story where King David was preparing to transfer everything to Solomon. He began to give Solomon instruction. He wrote down and gave to him the plans for building the temple. He even began to assemble the gold and the, the wherewithal to build the temple. And, um, and then we took a break in our story. We read through the Psalms, most of them written by David, but not all of them, some of them by the priests of the temple. And now we're gonna pick back up with our story 
David is getting old and he's getting cold. So they give him a young lady to lie next to him to warm him up. And the scripture is very clear that this wasn't about sexual relations, but she served her king um, by warming him up in his, in his old age. Well, so while he's old and he's in bed and the king, the crown has not yet been transferred officially to Solomon, uh, one of his sons, Adonijah, begins to attempt a coup. And so the prophet Nathan goes to Bathsheba, who is the mother of Solomon. And Bathsheba um, knows that her son Solomon is supposed to be the king, but Nathan says, hey, listen, Adonijah has gone and is making himself king and is gathering support of the people. And so Bathsheba goes to David and she says, you need to proclaim uh, Solomon. You promised that Solomon was going to be king. So he says, okay. And so he tells Nathan to take Solomon and Nathan takes Solomon down to the Gihon Springs where he is anointed king. And what's so exciting is that just in the last couple of years, they have uncovered the very area at the Gihon Springs, way down under in the ancient city of Jerusalem, where they believe that the anointing of Solomon took place. And you can see it uh, when you go to Israel next time. They've just been opening that area up to tourists. I believe it'll be open where you'll be able to see it next time you're there. And um, this is one of the ancient finds that is so exciting down underground in ancient Jerusalem uh, where they have been digging. So, um, so they anoint Solomon king and they sound the horns and they sound the praises and rejoicing. And Adonijah, who is just down the hill at another source of water, where he is anointing himself, he hears all of the goings on and says, what's that? And they say, Solomon has been made king and everybody fled. Everybody that was supporting Adon Adonijah fled. And Adon Adonijah flees and grabs the horn of the altar uh, for safety. And so here we have King Solomon now is a king. And we read the final words of King David to Solomon. And I want to read this to you. It's out of 1 Kings 2, verses 2 through 4. Very wise advice that he gives Solomon that I wish Solomon had uh, obeyed more strictly. But he says, this is David speaking, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commandments, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me that, quote, if your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart, and so you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. After this, it says David dies 
and he is buried in the city of David. Now, um, in our reading, we have an interesting little footnote here. And it says that King, um, that there are other writings. Let's see here. It says that the events of King David's reign are from the beginning to the end are written in the records of Samuel the seer, um, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer. Well, we don't have all those records. So wouldn't it be exciting if one day they found a copy of these, the ancient manuscripts of those writings and we can add to the story and we can add greater understanding even of what was going on uh, during the time of David. So um, we have here that Solomon becomes king now, and of course he gets rid of his enemies. And, you know, we wish things like this weren't in the story, but he does have Joab, the leader of David's army, is killed. And, but before that, it says that Joab also runs to take a hold of the horns of the altar, but it did not save him. And in the end, he is still struck down. And um, then it explains to us that at this time, there's the worship of the Lord is taking place in Gibeon. And so Solomon goes to Gibeon and makes sacrifice before the Lord as this new king and to get the Lord's favor on his life. And he falls asleep and has a dream. And in the dream, God comes to him and says, ask for whatever you want. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. I wanna be able to lead these people. I'm young and I'm inexperienced. And so the Lord says to him, you know, because you asked for this, you're not only gonna have wisdom, but you're gonna have honor and you're gonna have provision and prosperity and wealth and sure, for sure, uh, God is true to his promises. Solomon becomes very, very wealthy. Uh, we read here that he marries Pharaoh's daughter and uh, Pharaoh gives his daughter a wedding gift, and it's a burned-out city of Gezer. That, I always think that's kind of funny. How would you like to be given a burned-out city as your wedding gift? But that's the way things were done then. And uh, so Solomon has this wife from Egypt as a political alliance, and this kind of thing is going to continue, and it's going to be a trap for Solomon. We're going to find out. But then we read this week also how Solomon begins to build the temple and build it according to David's plans given to Solomon. And he also uses Hiram of Tyre um, to do the workmanship and to build the temple. So next week we read the exciting story of the dedication of this finished temple and um, how God's presence fills it. So that I'm going to save that for next week. So uh, your resources for this week, I want to remind you about the DVD. Uh, it's called Written in Stone, The House of David. Uh, it's very low cost. It's produced by our good friends at CBN. And this DVD will review for you all of the archaeological evidence and the proof 
of King David's existence, of the house of David, the dynasty that he began, of the building that he did, of his uh, military success at the time, and of the archaeological finds in the ancient city of David. You'll get to see all of that in the video footage. It's really beautiful. It's worth your $10 to buy it. And so we link to that in today's show notes. Uh, to be sure and get that on the House of David. It's a classic. You'll want to share it with your family and with friends at church. Um, it, it's really great. So that wraps up this week. And I look forward to having you back here next week when we continue the story of Solomon. And uh, so until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and be with you. And I look forward to seeing you back here. God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.